jobs. Now that I have your attention, we're going to talk about jobs tonight, but we're going to talk about it with somebody whose job it is to bring jobs to the Chattahoochee Valley. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. And I'm Chuck Williams. How you like the humble name of the show there? You like that? Uh, I've already got the guests laughing. We're here with Gerald Mitchell. Gerald is the president and CEO of the Greater Columbus Chamber of Commerce. He's been in our community almost six months. And he is somebody who has come from Metro Atlanta. And we're going to talk to Gerald about a lot of things tonight. And we'll kind of open it up pretty quick but first of all welcome and thank you for being the first guest on the chuck williams show thanks for having me i'm so excited to be here um you've been in columbus now as we were saying almost six months what have you learned about columbus in that six months that you didn't know when you took the job last summer hope you have a lot of time because i learned a lot about columbus so far uh you know, Columbus is a fantastic community, and I'm excited. Uh, you know, starting from the process of uh, exploring and determining whether or not this was the right opportunity for me up until, uh, or for me up until now, uh, you know, I've, I've learned so much about this community, and I keep learning every day. Uh, primarily, uh, you know, one of the things that intrigued me the most uh, as I was exploring the opportunity and coming to Columbus and whether or not I could have an impact or make a difference uh, was thoughts around or were thoughts around, uh, you know, kind of the DNA and what's happened over time and, and how those things uh, have shaped the community. And the I'll, DNA of this town used to be yep. denim. I mean, yeah. literally, yeah. the DNA was textiles and denim. Yep. But that's not what you walked into. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, you know, there is a continuous thread that starts as far back as you want to go, and it really speaks to innovation, and it speaks to creativity, and it speaks to a collegial environment that made it possible for so many great companies to locate here, be here, thrive here, grow here, provide for families for hundreds of years, uh, or, or more than 100 years. When I think about the fact that, uh, you know, Atlanta's story is not Atlanta's story. Uh, meaning, what do you mean by that? Okay. Well, I mean, Coca-Cola. Uh, you know, I had no idea that the Coca-Cola formula was actually uh, developed in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, you know, knowing that, um, you know, perked me up a little bit, you know, just in terms of thinking about, okay, what else is there? And then thinking about uh, the story about a seam ripping in someone's dress uh, leading to the creation of Synovus Bank, uh, or thinking about W.C. Bradley and how that company has done so much for this community and grown over the years, you know, with Charbroil and the real estate division now, and just again, Zepco and so many other things in, in the W.C. Bradley company, and how that company uh, has, again, been able to begin, uh, 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 and hopefully we're still in the middle, but have a middle uh, and do so much for the community. And then looking at companies like Tesis that are spinoffs of, uh, or that was a spinoff of, uh, of Synovus, uh, again, starting out as this small company and growing I mean, It into, started out in the basement of CB&T, yeah. basically because they didn't want to pay somebody else to process their credit cards. Right, right. So that, and this being an environment where companies like that and ideas can can hatch and can grow into 
global behemoths. Let's call it that. And 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 we forgot Aflac. Uh, Don't talk about, forget the duck, man. <laughs> talk about global behemoths, uh, a company that's able to start right here in our town. You know, is that what sets Columbus apart in some ways from the Macon's, the Savannah's, your hometown, and yeah. Augusta's? Is you know, we have an Aflac based here. We had well, we had Tesis here, but yep. we have Sonovas based here. Uh, that some of these large corporations have large pre- footprints in this community. Mm-hmm. Macon doesn't have an Aflac. Nope, nope. So, and what Savannah's got is uh, a Gulfstream Aerospace um, and Savannah and Savannah Port. B Company and the Georgia Ports Authority. But again, I would say that while those things are great. Uh, that those things do not tell a story about a continuous thread that just goes on and on and on and on in the sense that, um, you know, we can look at different periods in time and just see how Columbus just keeps doing it, just keeps doing it over and over again. And these companies become fortune companies. Um, so, so again, it's, that was very intriguing to me. And then the other thing I learned or had the opportunity to, uh, to learn more about and hear about was, uh, just how giving this community was, uh, the spirit of, uh, corporate giving and the philanthropic nature of it. Absolutely. Uh, blew me away. Uh, a town, uh, or community this size punching so far above its weight, uh, was fan- was fantastic and fascinating to me. Uh, and when I heard about, uh, the campaigns and how the community has come together, uh, more than once to do hundred million dollar fundraising campaigns to support things that were going to make the community better. Uh, again, fantastic, blew me away. Multiple hundred million dollar fundraising for the university, yep. for the arts, for yep. all. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick yep. story from my newspaper days at the Ledger. John Greenman used to be our publisher. I don't know if you met John. He is still in town. He's on the Housing Authority board. And John went to Miami for a presentation. And um, the numbers, I'll get it off just a tad, but Miami Herald publishers from all of the then Night Ritter papers were there. And John went through a slide presentation of a lot of what you were just talking about, about Columbus. This yep. was 20 years ago. Yep. He said, we just had a fundraising effort for the arts, and we raised $92 million. Yeah. And the publisher of the Miami Herald raised his hand and said, Mr. Greenman, you have a typo in your PowerPoint. He says, excuse me? He said, no. He said, no, we raised 92 million. He said, that shouldn't be 9.2 million. And then the guy goes, we just raised the guy in the figure. I may be a tad off. We just raised 35 million mm-hmm. in Miami Dade and we didn't hit the goal. And, you know, and John just kind of said, Okay. And John was one of the founders of the Community Foundation. Mm. He was one of the driving forces that come here from Akron. Yeah. But that's what you see here. I mean, public private partnership. It is a phrase, but what does it mean to you now that you've sort of seen it in action? Here? Well, what it means to me is uh, it means a different, uh, more enhanced way to get it done. Uh, so frequently when you look at development authorities um, or you look at other uh, public vehicles that are responsible for job creation, uh, what they've really got to build a community and build assets and drive competitiveness uh, in terms of their ability to compete against other communities uh, is really public funding. And if you don't get the public funding, then you're basically a boxer who's fighting with one arm tied behind your back. Uh, And And the city gives about $1.2 million mm -hmm. to the development authority, which falls under the chamber and your leadership. 
And that, I mean, that's real money. The city uh, is a great partner. That is real money. But, and I'll, I'll, I'll put this into context. Um, and at the end of the day, if you think about one county or the size of one county in Georgia, and then you look at our neighboring states, if you look at Florida, if you look at South Carolina is a good example, um, you know, Tennessee, other counties, uh, one Georgia county in many cases is equivalent to two, three, and in some cases four, uh, or, or I'm sorry, four, two, three, or four Georgia counties uh, is equivalent to one county in any of those states. Uh, and what you end up with from a competitive standpoint uh, is David versus Goliath every time. So if we've got Muskogee County competing against a, let's call it a Greenville-Spartanburg, um, you know, that's an MSA uh, or an area that's got a million people, uh, you know, you end up competing against a larger tax base every time you're having a competitive battle in another community. Which means more incentives. They can play, put more, they can put more chips on the table. Correct. And that's what we need to think about when we think about economic development and we think about Georgia. And the fact that David versus Goliath in my mind is a good analogy is the fact that sometimes we win. (laughs) Um, But, but again, it's never an easy win. It's a win that we have to compete for and we have to fight hard for when we are very frequently just outmatched from the start when we're talking about communities in other states. One of the things that intrigued me when I saw your bio and saw you kind of come in was at the press conference at the powerhouse where you were announced. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting to look up and see Chris Clark sitting sitting there. Chris Clark is head of the Georgia Chamber. Um, He is one of those guys who's in a lot of discussions about where industry goes in this state. Mm -hmm. Chris was clearly a friend of yours. You've got people that you know throughout the state that you can leverage is probably the wrong word, but you can call on your phone and say, Hey, I need help. Is Chris one of those guys? Because that struck me. Chris is one of those people. And, you know, again, just from my time, uh, you know, working in the economic development arena, and actually I would even take it further back to uh, the time that I spent working in the telecommunications uh, sector. Uh, You know, I had the opportunity at a very young age to be out and about around the state, uh, different communities in Atlanta, uh, at the Capitol, you know, just different places, getting to meet people and representing something. Uh, and representing something uh, that meant that I had to do the work and that I had to be prepared and that I had to know uh, what I was talking about. And throughout those years, um, you know, what I believe I gained was credibility. Uh, and again, as I moved into the economic development arena, having the opportunity to work uh, with my colleagues and friends at the state, uh, Chris being one of them, uh, Pat Wilson, who's over at the Georgia Department of Economic Development being another one, uh, again, has, has given us, uh, I think, uh, good positioning in the sense that not that they're going to just send projects to us, but we have the ability to pick up the phone and ask questions. And those questions being, what is it going to take for us to be more competitive? How do we get into the fray? What are the things that we have to do to be the number one choice of as many of these companies as possible for future opportunities? The economic development game has changed. COVID has even changed it more, I'm sure. But the economic development game has changed. And now, rather than saying, we want a Pratt & Whitney, and we want the 2,200 jobs or whatever, 
it might be better to get five companies that add up to a Pratt and Whitney. Mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, there's a diversification in the way you play the game now, right? Yeah. So it's so it's both, right? And uh, you know, I would hesitate to say it's either or. And we're in an environment where you have to win compatible opportunities in a multitude of ways, and those compatible opportunities look different, right? Uh, sometimes it is Pratt and Whitney, and sometimes it's a company like uh, like like Starrett. Um, where stare at bite wise located on Broadway. Right. Uh, so sometimes you have just kind of a different array and what we are going to work on here in the near term is competitiveness, right? We're going to look at, uh, how we position ourselves for the right industry sectors so that we have the best possible chance of being competitive and of winning. And when those companies locate here, creating or getting them the right workforce uh, and then having them be Columbus success stories for years to come. Um, You know, that is really important. There's another piece of it where in some cases we have to address land control uh, or options in the sense that, uh, you know, when you hear about an Amazon uh, HQ2 type project, the question as a community that we have to ask is how far we want to go to be prepared for something like that. Um, All you have to do is look 40 miles to the north for the Kia plant. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. That was 100 tracks that yep. had to be put together. Yep. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, right? you just want to have those options. You want to be able to, uh, and, and again, that doesn't mean that you have to have uh, you know, just extraordinary amounts of money. That you know, Obviously, that's from any economic developer's position, that's a good thing to have. Uh, but, uh, you know, you journalist cash is a good thing. To yeah, have. <laughs> you just have to be prepared. You have to have options. Uh, so again, if you can capture that company, that's only going to create 15 jobs, but those 15 jobs are good $80,000 a year jobs. That's okay. And on some level we have to, uh, retrain our psyches. We have to retrain our minds to, uh, re envision what winning means in economic development. If I got to your point, to your earlier point, if I got 10 companies that are exactly what I said, it's 15 comp- 15 employees all making $80,000 a year, that's 150 people making $80,000 a year. That's not a bad day. That's that's a really good day for Those are Columbus. people that eat in our restaurants, that buy cars, yep. that buy housing, that buy housing. Yep. I mean, you know, that probably have a trailing spouse that mm-hmm. has a good income as well. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I say all of that um, to say, again, we've got to think about all the options. One, it is how we address workforce. Uh, workforce is the ball game, really. Uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what size company you, you attract. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what industry sector. If you don't have the people that can fill those positions and do it well, then you're not going to win. And if you win, the company is not going to be here for long. Uh, so, so we have to think about that. We have to think about how we invest in ourselves in this community. One of the other things that I've learned and that is absolutely, uh, compelling, thrilling, intriguing, the whole nine yards to me is the dragonfly trail. It is an example of our community deciding to invest in ourselves, to be better, to be more competitive, to create the quality of life that is not only going to attract a good quality workforce, but it's going to retain it. Uh, you know, people want uh, those quality of life attributes, and that's really important. Um, you know, you 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 mentioned earlier, um, you know, before we came on air, you know, the kind of the difference between where I came from and, and being here now. And apart- where did you move here from? So yeah, yeah so we moved here from Decatur, um, uh, just uh, to the east, uh, about ten minutes to the east of the city of Atlanta. 
Um, and Decatur is a, is a town of, and I forget how many people live in Decatur, but it's four square miles. Uh, it's on the MARTA. It's, again, very, very good community, good schools, uh, you know, walkable. It's got all of those things, good restaurants. Uh, at one point. Great downtown area in Decatur. Great downtown area. At one point it had uh, six of the top ten restaurants in Atlanta were located in Decatur, and this is probably five or six years ago. But, but again, you know, all of those things, all of those amenities, and those are the things that, fortunately for me, uh, we've got many of those. Uh, and the other side of it is if there's a gap in any of those, the benefit is that it, it's, uh, it's part of my role to identify those gaps and try to attract those things. So, so that's going to be, a, I think, a part of the fun of, uh, of, of, of doing this role in Columbus and, again, being a part of this community. As you, you've talked to how many people in this community. You've been systematically talking to people yep. over the last five and a half months. Yep. How many? Hundreds. Uh, not thousands yet, but hundreds of people. Give me an example. Top to bottom. Top, I mean, people that you would expect, the chairmen, the CEOs, but also yep. other. I mean, give me an example. All, of all over the chart. Uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to, to your point, chairmen and CEOs of companies. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I've, I've had opportunities to engage and speak uh, to the philanthropic community. I've had chances to uh, engage small businesses. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to just run into people, you know, you know, walking downtown on Saturday mornings at the, the farmer's market on Broadway. Um, you know, again, all different uh, spectrums. I think it's really important that we're talking to uh, or that I'm getting exposure to a wide array of people to understand better um, where our community wants to go. This isn't just Gerald coming in and saying, I have a vision for Columbus. Uh, this is me being a part of this community and listening to my neighbors and listening to our constituents and listening to people who are going to benefit or who have needs and trying to build a strategy around that. That's incredibly refreshing to hear a chamber president say that because sometimes it's top down. You're saying that you want, I mean, obviously, job, the industry recruitment's going to bubble mm -hmm. up from wherever it bubbles up. Mm -hmm. But the quality of life, I mean, you're talking quality of life. Yep. Why is that important? Why do I care if I've got a dragonfly trail to ride my bike out yep. to Salmon Road or if I've got a, if I can put a kayak in the river and, um, in Whitewater? Why yeah. is that important? That's a fantastic question. And I'll start there. Are, so first of all, there are a lot of reasons why it matters. Um, and I'll start with, um, you know, again, that, that quality of life piece being a huge, huge workforce retention tool. Uh, being a thing that makes people not only grow up here and get educated here, but want to stay here and build a family and find the right career path and job here in this community, not having to leave for opportunity. The other thing is, uh, it is things like the Dragonfly, things like Standing Boy, things like uh, the sports facilities that we have. The here. mountain bike trail at Standing Boy. You're the mountain bike trail, yeah, yeah, at Standing Boy. The arts centers, you know, thinking about the River Center and, and, and you know, the, the, the Bartlett uh, exhibit and just different things of that nature. What those things also become are economic stimulus. Those are things that drive investment through our community in ways that we don't typically think about. And when you look at, uh, and I'll go back to the dragonfly, you look at the dragonfly and where it traverses and the potential that it has to be 
uh, a revitalization catalyst for parts of the community that haven't seen investment or rehab of houses in a long time. You know, those things start to happen. And of course, we want to do those things or support those things with the neighbors and communities remaining in place. You know, it's funny you should talk about the Dragonfly Trail because I got back on the bicycle this summer because I was looking for something to do on Saturdays when I thought we may not have college football. Mm -hmm. It was a a self-preservation thing for me. And one thing I noticed is I would pick the Dragonfly up right there about at 2nd Avenue, Mm -hmm. right there by the YMCA. And I'd go all the way to Salmon Road and come back. And I did it probably five, six, seven times. Mm And one thing I noticed about that trail was you went past the whole medical community. You went past housing that was workforce housing. Yep. Then you got into upper end housing once you cleared Warm Springs Road and started out toward Miller Road. And that way, I mean, I fully understand what you're saying because Mm -hmm. I spent some time on my bike on that trail. Because in... That brings me to one. You came here from the Beltline Project in Correct. Atlanta. Yep. Is that our Beltline Project and we just don't know it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think there are some people who know it, but the community at large uh, hasn't embraced it in that way yet. Define the Beltline Project so people listening will have an understanding and then we can kind of expand on this. Yeah. Because this is fascinating to me. Yeah. So the Atlanta Beltline is a 22-mile, uh, a uh, mostly abandoned rail corridor that encircles the, the heart of the city of Atlanta. And that, uh, that rail corridor uh, in, in segments uh, has been being acquired by an organization called the Atlanta Beltline, Inc. Well, the Atlanta, that's who you work for. That's who I worked for. And the Atlanta Beltline, Inc.'s role was to uh, turn that, uh, that abandoned rail system into a multi-use trail system or trail network for the city. Uh, now, about 80% of our team at the Atlanta Beltline, Inc. worked to actually rebuild those, uh, those, those trails in that corridor. Uh, about 10% of the people were administrative, and then the other 10% of us worked to activate the areas around the trail. Uh, meaning you look at uh, abandoned, distressed, dilapidated buildings, uh, and you figure out how we develop strategies to bring those things back into productive use. Um, and then start to catalyze growth in communities. And it's one of the biggest things that I've learned about economic development. And it was, you know, in traditional economic development, what I was focused on uh, was really a, um, a transactional view on job creation. Home runs. Home runs. You're looking for a piece of property. You're looking for a, uh, a, a company that has a need. You're, for lack of a better way to put it, you're having a marriage or, or pro, pro, uh, you know, doing a, a, a wedding ceremony. Yep. And you're, cre- you're driving incentives into it, and then you move on to the next one. But when looking at uh, what I call non-traditional economic development or the activity that you would see at the, at, at for instance, a Beltline or New York High Line or the uh, River LA Project or uh, one of these other types of projects, it's a whole lot less transactional. When you do a deal in a particular area or part of town, what you're interested in, uh, in addition to that particular deal and its ability to deliver jobs and private investment, is the ability for that to lift the entire node that it's in. So that you start to get that support system of uh, retail and housing and other things that bring people to an area that, again, is not producing. And when I say not producing, I mean from a tax standpoint. 
because people don't have jobs or because there, you know, there's no available opportunity or because, uh, you know, somebody may open a bike shop on that trail. Absolutely. Somebody might open a bike shop or somebody might open a steakhouse or somebody might open, you know, a, a daycare that, you know, folks could in theory, when the weather is good, they could walk their kids to those daycares or create safe routes to school. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about uh, the Fall Line Trail, Trail or Dragonfly mm-hmm. is it connects Columbus State University's main campus out of university yep. with downtown yep. in a very, very powerful way. It's I mean, very would, direct, and it doesn't take long. So if you got on your bike and took that ride from Columbus State to downtown – you would probably get there faster on your bike than you would in traffic. If you're humping it, you would. That's so, and think about non-COVID times. So at rush hour or at 8, 8 a.m. or at 5 p.m., um, there are some routes where you actually may save time. Do you look at activating that with a trolley system or with some type of public transportation system along that that all of a sudden now yeah. you've got – you know, you may not have all those CSU buses running as much as you may have a direct line trolley. Yeah, I love the question. Uh, but, you know, I, I'll be candid in saying I haven't thought that far yet on this one uh, in the sense that we've got a few more stages to go. We've got to think about uh, community adoption, um, how we get more people to test this, uh, this, this system, this network, get them to use it. Uh, and again, start to activate it. Um, the best thing that, and I've told my staff this, um, the best thing that I can deliver for any small business in Columbus is a customer. Uh, so again, to the extent that we're creating, uh, that foot traffic, that buzz, that activity, doing the things that make people go out and interact with our economy and with, with our, with our community, those are the things that keep our economy even more vibrant. And, you know, there are companies out there that, you know, are really big and, and they shall remain nameless uh, for the purpose of this interview. But um, they're big in e-commerce and e-commerce has become extremely convenient. And we've all been forced to adopt uh, e-commerce on a scale that is probably higher than we were before COVID. Um, but uh, what I would say I is I get the boxes <laughs> and I get the boxes, too. Uh, but, you know, this requires right now. Um, a level of intentionality on all of our parts uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, we're doing what we can to also uh, support our neighbors uh, who work at the companies that might not be e-commerce companies. And, and again, I'm not saying that there's anything bad or wrong with e-commerce. By well, the way. I mean, at least we're getting sales tax on it now. Yeah, yeah, I that's mean, right. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a plus, I would think, from a Georgia standpoint. Not yep. if you're a consumer, but if yep. you're looking at it, and when I say we, it's the generic we and don't start sending the emails, uh, <laughs> but you know. But I want to flip gears here. But that—that's discuss. I mean, I could sit here and talk for an hour. I'd love to bring in people like Ken Henson mm-hmm. and folks yep. that you know understand this as well. This whole thing. I mean, you look at sort of what's going on along those trails. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about COVID because yeah. we are almost at the year anniversary of of COVID walking Mm -hmm. into our world. And you were just talking about the small businesses that have struggled. And a lot of them have restaurants in particular have been devastated. I mean, particularly the mom and pop restaurants, the one, some have figured out how to do takeout and how to do things to keep it going. But 
when you look at this, I mean, obviously you saw them in Decatur in the beginning of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Yep. You're seeing them now. What do you see when you walk around downtown and see some of these restaurants that are fighting with everything they got yeah. to stay alive? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is um, uh, COVID is a horrible thing. And for anybody who's been uh, impacted by either having uh, COVID or having a family member have it or having a, uh, a loved one uh, be adversely impacted by it or, or mm-hmm. losing a loved one. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, something that's extremely sad and unfortunate. And, you know, certainly our thoughts and prayers uh, remain with those folks. Um, when I think about uh, the business environment, I will tell you there's good and bad. Uh, the bad is that um, there are businesses that are still hurting, they're still struggling, they may not be at full capacity in terms of uh, bringing uh, their employees back. Some um, are shuttered. And some are shuttered. Um, That's been the really, really bad part of this. But I will tell you, um, the piece of it that's been encouraging uh, has been how innovative people have been around this environment and trying to figure it out no matter what. Uh, having that X factor, I'll call it, kick in um, to figure out the best ways to reach their customers and provide product and just keep their businesses going and keep people paid and keep people fed. Um, Those are the stories that coming out of this, uh, I'm going to be hunting for uh, because... Me too. Hey, I'll I'll look for them. I mean, that's what I want to tell is those stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean... There are going to be case studies. There are going to be books to be written. There are going to be so many, I think, fascinating things that we are going to learn, not only because of this process or during this process right now, but on the backside of it as companies start to emerge and as people start to tell the stories about how they did it. Um, that's going to, I'm looking, I am really looking forward to that. But again, thinking about something as simple as restaurants and figuring out how to adapt their models so that, uh, you know, they can do curbside or so that they can do carry out or, you know, thinking about how to deconstruct their food product so that it can, so that it can travel, uh, or travel better. Um, you know, those sorts of things, um, you know, I've seen some pretty, pretty interesting, pretty fun, pretty ingenious, uh, things. Uh, and again, that um, speaks again to the DNA of this community that we started with and being innovative and just getting it done no matter what. I mean, there's a word for that. It's survival. Yeah. I mean, yep. this has created survival instincts in people. Yep. Fight or flight. Yep, that's right. Have you, and you, or do you see that? In your business, I mean, as you communicate with businesses, do you see the survival instinct? Uh, absolutely. And I will tell you from a chamber standpoint, uh, you know, having a membership model and being in the business development world uh, where, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we want to provide service and we want to provide support. And, you know, what we ask for is uh, membership fees and living in a world where there are a lot of people who can't do it. Um, you know, we were lucky. We had some companies uh, who uh, paid uh, more than their share. And because of those companies paying more than their share, we were able to support uh, or keep um, about 80 businesses uh, on the books uh, for the chamber. Uh, that would have had to cut your expense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so again, we're, we're grateful for that. Um, you know, again, it speaks to uh, that philanthropic spirit of our community uh, and 
again, you know, we want to keep providing services. And there's, you know, obviously we're working through uh, just kind of uh, how we reposition ourselves because there are some baseline services, uh, products, so to speak, that we're going to provide to businesses no matter what. Um, example. Give me an, uh, an example. example is so if you're a business and you reach out to us and you are, for instance, looking for SBA support, uh, small business administration support, or if you're looking for help uh, with expansion, um, uh, or if you're looking for workforce development support because you can't find people to do a particular job, whether you're a chamber member or not, we're going to help you with that. But if you know, there's some other things. Why do you do that? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, Yes, we are responsible for providing services along the lines of events and engagement and opportunities to collab- collaborate and so on and so forth with uh, our, our membership. Uh, but for businesses that are not in our membership, it is in our best interest to make sure that they remain vibrant and resilient because at some point they become our membership. So we can't um, turn our backs on that, uh, that segment of the business community. Um, because again, we want them to join the fray. We want them to be a part of how we tell the story of Columbus and how we build better industry sectors and how we talk about the depth that we've got. Um, we have to keep those businesses going. You know, that's, an, uh, that's, that's, that's fascinating to me because that's not a, it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. Now, COVID has kind of highlighted that in many cases we're our brother's keeper yep. in, this, in this environment. Yep. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, this goes back to how we build a healthy community, um, you know, and how we grow. And, again, thinking about, um, you know, those businesses back to our previous point about those businesses who aren't chamber members. You know what? You know, they might be a business that right now they're paying their employees minimum wage or slightly above it, but guess what? Those minimum wage employees, they get experience and they learn things and they look for new opportunities. So those become the people that can filter into that new company that is going to create those 20 or 15 jobs that are paying a range of 50 to 60 or $80,000. So, you know, people have an evolution in their career and every step of the business cycle is a step in that business or in that, uh, in that workforce development ladder as well, that helps us get to the point where we've got every uh, type of workforce or workforce participant that we need in order to keep companies vibrant here in our community. As you've talked to people about the positive things, go ahead and take a sip. I'll, I'll, I'll ad lib or sing and dance. Maybe I can do that. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, let, let me get my phone out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're texting your wife, Stephanie, now going, he's finally gone off the deep end. I told you he would. It only took 35 minutes. No, I'm texting your wife, Kathy, to tell her you've gone off the deep end. <laughs> Don't do that. She, she knew that long before this. One of the th- cool things about this format is, obviously, my wife is a public figure as well, and as you and I'm probably going to be able to interview her, so we'll Good. see. We'll see how that works. Oh, for, oh, I want to see that one. Please let me know when that is. I will. <laughs> I will. Um, we've talked about some of the positive things and stuff you've seen. I want to flip it a little bit and ask you about the warts mm-hmm. because 
if anybody's having an honest discussion with you yep. and they're talking about we do this well, we're, we're incredible at public-private partnership, yep. they're also going to tell you where the warts are. What are the warts? Chuck, you're putting me in a, an impossible position right now with that with that question. Well, uh, I tell you what, let's <laughs> do it generically as you ha- as you can. Oh no, I'll I'll answer it because I think that there are really opportunities, right? Yeah, I, and I don't, they're challenges. Yeah, let's call them challenges. No, no, I'm going to call them opportunities because they're not they're not insurmountable. Um, you know, one of the things um, you know that we see clearly uh, in our community is the the poverty level is high. I mean, we all know this. Um, which, you know, again, that finger gets pointed right back at me and people who do the work that I do in the sense that we've got to keep creating opportunities. And while I want to be very targeted and strategic about the industry sectors that we spend our time uh, pursuing, look, anybody that wants to do business in this community that's not here already, I'm going to talk to them. Uh, it's just that on our day to day. But they have a Google machine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, you know, those things, you know, poverty, um, you know, challenges with crime, uh, challenges with workforce. Uh, those things are not problems or challenges that uh, or opportunities that are unique to Columbus. Um, a lot of places are having these problems. And I will tell you, the benefit of being in Columbus is that there is an articulable, I believe, um, plan to change those things. Um, you know, again, I loved what we saw last week uh, where the community uh, came together to talk about violent crime uh, and how we start to address it. I love that. You know, not only do I want to see a safe environment for my own uh, quality of life and the quality of life for my family, uh, but I know it also makes it easier for me to tell the story to people who aren't here that would be here. Um, you know, so that's really important to us uh, from an economic development standpoint, from a chamber standpoint, from a general business standpoint. We got to have people, uh, you know, come together and, and again, address these problems. When we talk about workforce development, uh, it's how do we create, um, you know, or how do we develop more support for uh, Columbus Tech uh, and, and others who... That's been a constant question over 25 years. Mm-hmm. In this community, and and it has been, and they've always found ways to bring Columbus Tech into the niche areas. Yep. But, and I will tell you, the community is really fortunate right now. Martha and Todd is fantastic, uh, and for us to have her uh, at the helm will only do do good things for us, I believe. Um, but again, you know, addressing those workforce issues, um, you know. You know, one of the things I think about along the lines of workforce development is, you know, if you talk to uh, a Zoomer or somebody that's uh, that's Gen Z about, uh, you know, careers and you say the word manufacturing, you may as well be talking to the wall. Is that right? I've got Dylan sitting here, <laughs> sitting here with me. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exhibit A here. Yeah, definitely. But But if you talk to that person in the context of, digital fabrication or 3D printing or digital media and game development or something along those lines, all of a sudden you have their attention. And the reality is if you go through most manufacturing facilities today, what we call manufacturing facilities, most of the work is being done digitally anyway. So maybe 
we should think about an alternate word for manufacturing so that we can get people's attention when it comes to those, uh, those skill sets and those opportunities. Um, you know, and that's me thinking outside the box, uh, but it's how do we get a new generation of people interested in doing those works? Manufacturing, and I'm going back to the traditional word, um, is still the most reliable way to get people into the middle class. Solid jobs, um, pay well, benefits, you know, those sorts of things. So, And these are the same jobs. They've just got a different name, you're yep. saying. Yep. You know, part of me, and, and I really appreciate the way you're answering the warts question. And I sort of, in my old life, I'd say, stop the presses. We just found a straight <laughs> shooting chamber guy. Um, because, you know, a lot of people in your, in your, in your business, in your position, say, oh, there's nothing to see here. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, nothing to see here. Move on. Go on, guys. You didn't just do that just then. And I think the only way, I mean, the only way to deal with poverty, deal with crime, is to start addressing it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Uh, that's exactly what you're hearing. And I'm going to tell you, I have been in meetings on prospect visits with CEOs of companies who have looked me in the eye and said, you know what, I make a lot of money, and I'm going to be able to live in the best neighborhood, and I'm going to be able to send my kid to the best school where are my people going to live and where are they going to send their children to school? And what I realized in a couple of those instances and conversations is there's no hiding it. Right. But again, I go back to the huge benefit for Columbus and it is that in most of these scenarios, what we have done is developed plans that are actionable and that can be articulated that say, you know what? Yep. That's, that's, that's a thing. But we're not letting that thing go unnoticed or unaddressed. Um, Columbus 2025. There's an elephant in the room. You might as well talk about it, right? Which one? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, but yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it, it, they're going to ask you. And in many cases, like you said, you talked about the Google machine. And at the end of the day, they already know. Their teams have already prepped them. They've already given them some of the answers. And what they're doing is trying to figure out who we are. Uh, and whether or not we're going to give them kind of the story that they want to hear or whether we're going to give them the story that they know. Um, so, again, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, I, I think Columbus is well positioned because of things like 2025, Columbus 2025, um, and that community initiative. And I will tell you that from an experienced um, economic development person's perspective, um, all of the things that are in uh, Columbus 2025 are the things that your traditional chamber and economic development authority get hammered about on a regular basis. And here we have uh, a community where there is a plan and a strategy that addresses workforce, that addresses vibrancy and quality of life, that addresses uh, economic development support, that addresses all of those things uh, that take you out of a, a transactional nature and pushes you toward how we build our community, and how, frankly, we invest in ourselves. Investment means you're hoping for some type of return. What's that return? Uh, the return is growth. The return is vibrancy. The, the return is, is, is safety. The return is, um, you know, all of those things. It's, the return is good schools. The return is people being excited about, about our community uh, the return is is twenty fold if you do those things and you stay faithful to them. 
you know, it's been interesting to kind of hear you talk about what you see in Columbus. If you had a magic brush and you could just start painting right now, what would you paint? You know, paint me a Birmingham, the song goes, paint me a Columbus. Uh, it would start with bags of cash. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, that's I'm a kidding. great start if you ask me. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, uh, that's a really good uh, question. Uh, and uh, let me think about this for a second. Uh, you know, if, if I were going to paint um, a, a picture of Columbus, uh, and, and is there a time window no, on this? No, you, I mean, you, the, you can do what you want to do with it. I mean, yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, it really looks and feels like um, a leader in the southeastern United States as it relates to uh, economic vibrancy, as it relates to uh, health outcomes, as it relates to education. I think that it has a, uh, a, a position as a beacon for innovation. Uh, I think that it has a position as a standard for uh, being neighborly. Uh, And I I have a really good story about that. And it's a goodwill story, actually, and literally a goodwill story. Um, You know, when we were moving some things into Columbus, um, you know, we um, identified some things that we wanted to give away to goodwill. And... We, uh, we loaded uh, the things back onto the truck and, uh, and, and drove the, uh, the truck over to the U-Haul uh, over on Veterans. And uh, we, I, started, I, I opened the truck, and a gentleman met me, and uh, he basically said, oh, are you leaving Columbus? And I said, no, we're actually moving to Columbus. And uh, he looked at me and had the biggest smile on his face, and this young man said, welcome to Columbus. You'll love it here. And I promise you that happened. And the feeling of that was so genuine. And what I felt is that tone, that sense in everybody that I've interacted with. And I, you know, I, I hope that it's genuine, but, but again, it's been pretty unanimous. Uh, and, and again, I, <laughs> that is the thing that you want to bottle up and you want to sell. Well, you're the guy whose job it is. To follow that up itself. I mean, you're, 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 you're the salesman on that. Correct? Well, and you guys, and you guys help with that. Um, you know, and, and again, this is, can we talk about RBL for a minute? Yeah. We uh, can. So, so, you know, um, you know, you know, you guys do a good job of getting the word out, getting the news out about things that are happening in Columbus, but you know, there's this thing and it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it online. It's, uh, uh, some really good news. Uh, there's an actor, his name is John Krasinski, and what he has started doing during uh, COVID is he films from his basement, and he's just looking for good news because there's so much stuff that is so heavy, and it's weighing down on us, and it's having an impact on our, our psyches and on you know, how we you know, interact and you know, our excitement about you know, just doing the next thing. And uh, you know, I, I saw that the first time, and it was so refreshing. And what I, it, and by the way, the first one that he did, and I'll just say this really quickly, uh, his wife uh, was in uh, Disney's Mary Poppins. Uh, so he's on, his, uh, he's on this little podcast and he's, he's talking to uh, a little girl. And the little girl missed her birthday because it was uh, because of COVID and she was supposed to go to Disney, but she wasn't able to go to Disney. Uh, or it wasn't Disney actually, it was, uh, it was Hamilton. 
she was she wanted to go to Hamilton, and uh, she couldn't go because of COVID. The show got canceled. Uh, so, uh, as you know, also in Mary Poppins was Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, well, John Krasinski's talking to the little girl, and he says, "I'm so sorry that you missed Hamilton because of your birthday." And then you see the screen pop up on Zoom or whatever platform they're using, and it's Lin Manuel Miranda. And he starts singing songs from Hamilton. And then you see Leslie Odom Jr. And he starts singing with Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then you have the whole cast start to show up. And the reason he was able to make that happen is because his wife knew Lin-Manuel Miranda. But the point is that um, taking that opportunity, leveraging a platform to um, find those things that really just kind of have the ability to, to change uh, the way we feel about so many really, really heavy things that are, that are happening in our, in our world and around us. You know, I, I think that those things are going to be winners a thousand percent of the time. I don't disagree with you. And I know through the last 12 months of covering COVID and then covering the political mm-hmm. campaign that seemed to go on forever, and it did, uh, there were times that I would get a good news story. Yeah. And I was like, I don't care what happens today. Yep. I'm doing this yep. because I need it for my psyche. Yep. And you're saying that there need to be needs to be more of those. I, I, yes. I wish that it were, frankly, it were programmed. Um, and, you know, to some of your listeners and, and other people around the community, you know, I, my argument would be, or my, my, my point here would be that there is no um, good story uh, that is too cheesy, that is, you know, that isn't worth sharing. You know, my thing is just, let's just throw them out there. And some of the things will fall flat, but I think that... We had one of those this week mm-hmm. when um, we had a reporter, um, Amanda Peralta, who just started here, and she went out and did something on Scott Restmeyer and the two ambulances mm-hmm. that they donated to Piedmont yeah. for the neonatal. Fantastic. Those are the kinds of stories that make you smile. Yep, yep. Can we have 10 of those a day? No, but, you know, if you could get people to stop shooting. But, you know, and that's my transition from newspaper to TV. You know, I know that on the TV side, the thing was always if it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's some truth to that, but not it's not it's an overstatement of fact in a lot of ways. But I will tell you this, coming over here, I look to tell stories on WRBL on the news that are people – May not know. I mean, like, I've last couple of days we've done an on your side story. Essentially, mm-hmm. Columbus is way behind Richmond, and, or Muskogee is way behind Richmond and Chatham County in the number of vaccine shots have been given. I yeah. mean, like four times more in Savannah. Yep. I mean, and we're bringing that to people's attention yeah. because and and the mayor's office is bringing that to yep. you know yep. to Mayor Henderson's credit. They're bringing this and they're not afraid to talk about because they want more shots. Absolutely, we need the doses. There's no there's no question about that. And I'm not suggesting that you don't bring those sorts of things to people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have an obligation to do that. Um, but the good stuff would be fantastic. Well, uh, there's a news director you can. Get his ear when you're walking out of here. Gene Kirkconnell <laughs> has been watching this. Gene's been one of the this these podcasts have been one of Gene's babies, and I've been very fortunate. This is the first one. This is the first one we we've done WRBL. There's going to be another sports guys got one coming. There's a number of them coming. I love it. Yeah, for the first one Black History Month. Love yeah, it. we you know you just you just you just touched on it. Oh, and you know 
you're the first black president of the Chamber of Commerce. Haven't mm-hmm. you know? We're 51 minutes into this. Yep. Haven't mentioned it. I yep. didn't think it was something that I really wanted to talk about tonight. But you are the first black president CEO mm-hmm. of the chamber. That comes with a little bit of expectation. I got a friend who was in one of the first classes of dental school at UAB, and he always told me that an outstanding dentist still practice in this area, Hugh Ogletree, and he always told me that he felt like because he was one of the first, mm-hmm. he had to be better. And yep. he it was a personal pressure that he put on himself. Yep. Do you feel that? I mean, do you, I mean, and that may not be a fair question. If it is, isn't, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there is always, uh, and again, I think I said this to you at our first uh, at our first meeting, our first press conference. Uh, you know, there's no more pressure than than normal. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, when you, you know, and I'm so first of all, I'm going to say I'm so glad that we're at a point in our community, in our history as a country. Uh, where we're being reflective uh, about our past uh, and about how we we treat our neighbors and our fellow citizens. Um, That's extremely important. Um, And we do have to, in order to get better and in order to move ahead and in order to create the type of uh, world that we want to have for our our young folks, uh, for our kids and others, um, we've got to do some really serious uh, soul searching. And that doesn't mean, because we have to do that, it doesn't mean that people are bad. Um, it means that people don't have, in some cases, the information that's required to be better. Um, so, again, talking about these things, I don't think we should view uh, as a bad person, or, or as a bad thing, rather. I don't think we should view people who don't get it as bad people. Uh, I think that you're you know, kind of falling off the uh, deep end if not, and not you, but if you're a person who hasn't had exposure and you don't want to get exposure and you don't care about how we make our society better, uh, then that's a problem, right? Uh, but for people that are seeking better is inclusion, right? Yeah, better is inclusion. Absolutely. And, you know, again, being the first, uh, you know, African-American president of the chamber is a humbling experience for me. I'm, I'm so happy to have, have uh, had this opportunity or to have this opportunity uh, I want to make sure that, you know, in, in 20 years or whatever the time limit is uh, when I'm not in this role, that it doesn't mean that the community won't hire another African-American person to lead this uh, this effort. Um, uh, I want to do this job and I want to do it well. Um, but we've got to just think about as a community how we prepare people and how we, um, you know, make opportunity for folks. Um, and, you know, the reality is still that uh, we've got a long way to go. And I will tell you, Columbus is a lot better than so many places. When we think about people like Lisa Smith at Georgia Power, African-American female leading Georgia Power uh, for this region. When we think about Carolyn Bermudez uh, over at Liberty Utilities, African-American woman leading the state for Liberty Utilities. When we think about people like Audrey Tillman, Audrey Hollingsworth. When we think about people like Teresa White, uh, the CEO of Aflac Americas. I mean, Teresa White would be a big deal in any town. In any town, and she's here. Um, when we think about having an African-American police chief, when we think about having an African-American sheriff, um, Columbus has um, a lot to be uh, proud of in that, in that regard, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Uh, ashamed of it. We should embrace it, uh, but we should know that we have to do more to create opportunities for everybody, and that does not mean creating opportunities at the expense of others. Um, 
but it does mean making sure that for folks that maybe didn't have um, all the the tools to get where um, where many of us have gotten, that we're trying to create scenarios where uh, those tools are available. Well, we're getting toward the end of this. I mean, you and I have just had a pretty good 50-minute conversation. I'm going to do this with all the guests on the show, and I'm going to turn the tables. All right. Ask me. I've been sitting here grilling you a little bit. Ask me a question. Is there anything you want to ask me? Oh, yeah. So we're going to do lightning rounds, okay? (laughs) This ought to be fun. (laughs) We did not rehearse this, okay? All right. Favorite hip-hop artist? Uh, Dre? Okay. Did you say Dre or Drake? Dre. Dre, okay. All right. That's a good one. Don't Uh, ask me a name of Dre song. (laughs) Favorite rock and roll? Uh, probably Joan Jett. All right. Morning person or night person? Both morning now. Okay. All right. Good one. Um, retirement job. I want to tell the stories of people in this town. And I have found talking to people in their final weeks or months of life, is an incredible opportunity to reflect and learn about people in the community. I just did one of those with Mike Edmondson, school board member. I'd love mm-hmm. to be able to be in a position to tell stories of people in their last days, as well as some of the military stories. Love it. Love it. You know, I would have said for my retirement job, I, I think I want to own a tiki bar. Uh, <laughs> in, in the islands? The <laughs> You know, I, I don't care where it is. It can be, I want it, there's you know, a difference being here in, would be fantastic. There's a difference in Freeport and Decatur. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, well, I'll tell you what, this is, I mean, this, this has been really enlightening for me. And this, you've kind of set a blueprint for how these go. And nobody's going to be stunned that I didn't come up with a quick hip. I should have said hammer. Would that have counted? Oh, yeah. Well, a hammer counts. Yeah, that hammer, would count. Hammer, hammer counts. Okay. Right. Now, now that I'm sitting there thinking, because I had no idea that was coming. It just, <laughs> just torched me, man. Just torched hey, me. Hey, that was not the intent. It's all, it's all, it's all fun. It's all no, good fun. No, no, no. And, <laughs> you know, and it, 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 but it's you just asked a question that speaks to our differences. Should have asked Dylan who the hip-hop artist was. He could have answered that. But, you know. Drake. <laughs> Drake. Yes. Drake, not Dre. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. Uh, you know, but that's kind of, that shows the difference. That, that You showed where, you didn't yeah. ask who my favorite country artist was. It shows where we are. But, you know, if you had asked me that, I would have been able to answer it. Zach who Brown. is you? Zach Brown. Zach Brown. Willie Nelson. All right. So, That's a good one. And I would also say Johnny Cash, if you asked about okay. classic country. Okay. First concert I ever saw, 10-year-old kid, Garrett Coliseum in Montgomery, Alabama, 1970, Johnny Cash. Wow. Okay. That was my first one. All right. So, All right, there you go. It went downhill from there. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty high bar. Yeah, that's. I didn't realize that at 10 years old that yeah. – Folsom Prison was going to be, you know, or San Quentin was going to be the highlight, the highlight, and I was getting it early. But I'd, I'd love to go back and be able to do that again. Well, that ends it, Gerald. That uh, this has been great, man. This has been outstanding. You know, I've learned a lot about you. I hope you've learned some stuff about me. You know that I don't know hip hop very well. Yeah, uh, it's all good. <laughs> but you know, this is what the Chuck Williams show is going to be like. Good. This is it. This is what we're going to try to do.
We're going to try to introduce you to people like Gerald Mitchell, and we're going to let them tell their stories. This is not the Minute 15 pack that you see on the TV show. This is, this is a discussion. This is a conversation. And I also want to give a shout-out to Dylan Hansen. Dylan is uh, – Dylan, it, it, you know, and it's funny. You talked about gamers. Yep. Zoomers. Zoomers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he's, a, he's a gamer. He's a, he's a gamer, uh, and he has really punched this thing up in an amazing way and yeah. couldn't be happier to have to be working with him. I think our combined age is not yet 80, and I'm 60, so <laughs> if that'll tell you anything about, it, about how old Dylan is. But, you know, we're going to keep coming at this, and Gerald, I want to thank you for being here. Yeah, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. I hope you'll have us back on. I'm sure that as time goes on, we'll have other things that we'll want to share with this group. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm so glad that you guys uh, are starting this show and, 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 and this platform. I, you know, I hope that everybody uh, that's listening will find a way to support the chamber and uh, also support our local business community as best they can. Perfect. Okay, we're going to kind of start closing this out. And I want to tell you that, remember, you can watch the Chuck Williams Show streaming live on WRBL.com every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can watch the replay on our website the next day. And coming soon, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, which will be available on Apple, Spotify, and Audible, so you can listen to the show on the go. And also, if you will look up here, the have social media. Um, on Facebook, it's Chuck Williams WRBL. Um, on Instagram, it's Chuck Williams 0999. That's original. And the best one yet on Twitter, it is Chuck Williams. I've been on Twitter since 2008, and my retirement plan is to make sure a famous athlete or actor comes along, and I will sell them my Twitter page. <laughs> Auction now. Okay, again, thanks for listening to the Chuck Williams Show. This is the first one. There'll be many more to come. But I want to leave you with a couple things. First, be safe. Everybody be safe. But above all else, be kind. Because you don't know what's in the other guy's suitcase right now. So be kind, friends. <laughs>